You have your Bibles open to Mark chapter 10. Most of you know the concept of a teachable moment. It's not really something that you plan on. It just some moment occurs and then you go, oh, okay, well, that's a teachable moment for me and for my child or whoever you may be working with. I was uh, laying in bed with my daughter this week and we were remembering being in Aspen together skiing last December and I was speaking on a conference and we we're just laughing about different things that had happened and she just started laughing. And I was thinking, okay, there are lots of opportunities for laughter at my expense on the trip. And so she's saying, remember how, you know, we were going up the ski lift. This was the first time we'd gone up the ski lift. And I had skied a little bit before and here my little ballerina daughter had never skied. So I, in my professionalism, was trying to help her understand how to ski and how to put your weight. And, of course, I was carving up the slopes. And she was nervous because on this first little chairlift, you know, you have to go down the little hill and there's all kinds of opportunities for problems. And in my pride, I was helping her know that she would not have a problem with the last name Phillips and her, you know, natural ability would be no problem getting down. So just lean forward, keep your weight forward, and just kind of push off out of the chair. Don't try to do anything fancy. And you'll, you'll No problem. Well, so that's exactly what she did. It was just as if I had just said it and she did it. The problem was me. I got my skis crossed. I fell. They had to stop the lift. And everybody's looking ahead like, who's the guy who's now stopping the lift? And so it was a real teachable moment for humility for me. And you can't just plan those. I certainly wouldn't have planned that one. You're just going along the journey and something happens and you go, okay, let's just stop right now and just examine what's happening. And that's exactly what's happening in this text in Mark chapter 10. We've been talking about discipleship. Jesus has turned his face towards Jerusalem. He's on his way to the cross. And on this journey to Jerusalem, he encounters a bunch of people who are bringing children to him. And the disciples are trying to shield them from Jesus. And so what we have in these few verses is a little teachable moment. Jesus sort of says, "Okay, guys, let's stop and examine what's happening and let's step back and look at the bigger principles of what's important about entering in the kingdom of God. So he's using this event as a, a teachable moment for his disciples and for us as well. And when we, we stop and look at this, I want us to look at it in three things, in three ways. First, the kingdom of God. That, that's the whole purpose of these few verses is, how would somebody enter into the kingdom of God? So we're going to consider the kingdom of God. The second thing we want to consider is the heart of the king. And finally, getting into the kingdom. The kingdom of God, the heart of the king, and then getting into the kingdom. Now, when we talk about the kingdom of God, this is a term that's used pretty broadly and we're going to have to sit just for a few minutes and try to absorb the, the impact of the kingdom of God moving across time and even into our lives. So let's, 
let's try to listen carefully and try to absorb this. If you start in the Old Testament, the Lord is generally pictured as a king. He's the ruler of all things. You might think about this most naturally from 1 Samuel when the Israelites have moved into Canaan and they want to look like the rest of the people. And what do they ask for? We want a king. And so Samuel is disappointed in these people's decision. And they say this, give us a king to lead us. And this displeased Samuel, First, First Samuel 8. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. So we see that picture in the Old Testament. Psalm 103 emphasizes this. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all things. And so we have this picture in the Old Testament of God being a king, but a king sort of in a big general way. He's over all things. Nevertheless, there's this hope or this hunger or this expectation in the Old Testament that there's going to be this future defining moment when the king who sits upon the throne in heavens actually comes near. And he's, he's coming in a different way is the expectation. And his nearness, when, when the king who's on the throne in heaven actually comes near, it's in a different way and he's going to begin to set things that are wrong right. And so there's this great anticipation. There's this great hunger. And my guess is, is that some of you feel that way today, whether you're a believer or you're a seeker or whatever you are. There's moments in your life you you hunger for something, some one to come in because you've got problems or issues and you just wish they would come in and just set it right. And there's this hunger that's 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 sort of boiling in the Jewish mindset. Probably the most sort of spectacular expectation comes from Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel 7, which is why I read that. The, the return of the king, God breaking into the world in a different way. Daniel chapter 2. Listen again. In the time of those kings, remember there's a statue and it's made of different things. Gold at the top and clay and iron at the bottom. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. See, he's setting it up in some different way, and it will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and will bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain. Not by human hands. So this rock, this very unassuming, it's not gold, it's just a rock. And it starts very small. And this rock is going to enter in in some way. And it's going to begin to to shatter all the other kingdoms. And in fact, it's going to grow so large that it's going to consume the whole world. Daniel chapter 7. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man. That's the title that Jesus gives himself most often in the New Testament. 
And the Son of Man is coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. And this Son of Man was given authority, glory, power over all peoples, nations, and every language worshipped him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion. It will not pass away. And His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So, so do you hear that? you hear the hunger of this? People have understood this vision of Daniel that a rock is going to enter. Some, something, someone's going to come in and shatter the kingdoms and dominions and set up a new kingdom. This is the hope. This is the expectation. So we have this as a, just a general backdrop. And then when you move into the New Testament, it's no surprise in the transition you hear John the Baptist preaching or proclaiming or shouting this language. Repent. Turn around. What does he say? For the kingdom of God is at hand. This, this kingdom that we've all been looking forward to, this hunger that we've, that's been boiling inside of us, here it is. Turn around. Don't miss it. And so we're not surprised at his language. The time is fulfilled. Mark 1.14. Jesus comes and in Mark 1.14 it says this. He's proclaiming the gospel of God. Don't get caught by just that language and moved by it. The gospel of God. Good news. The gospel. Good news is coming to all of humanity from God Himself. We are living on this tiny little planet and we get information from a computer or a television. And, but what Jesus is saying is good news is coming from way outside the world and it's coming in from God Himself. And so He's trying to help everybody who has that hunger say, I need to lean in. I need to listen to this. If God Almighty is going to be giving me a good message, I want to understand what is it, what is it He's saying? And here it is. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is near. The rock has come and it has struck the statue and all the kingdoms are being toppled. All the dominions are being taken over. There's no competitors. The rock will, will grow and eventually fill the whole earth. And listen to Luke chapter 10, verse 23. Jesus is talking about uh, this message that's coming forward. And he says, this, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you, many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see. You see, all the prophets and kings, they've been leaning forward into history saying, I'm looking for this message from God. I'm looking for the king who sits upon a throne to come down into my world. And everybody's leaning forward to it. And Peter says about this message of salvation, even angels are peering into it. Everybody... All of creation, they're peering over. They're struggling to see the good news that God is proclaiming. The whole earth is going to be filled with His glory. And the good news of God, the news that the prophets wanted to hear, 
the news that the kings were longing to hear, the news that the angels longed to look into, is that the Lord God Almighty is now walking once again amongst His people in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the news. The God who began His relationship in the garden walking with His people has come back now in the person of Jesus Christ and He's walking very near us. It's coming in in some brand new way. He is the King. So you have the Old Testament picture. You have this hunger for it and then this realization of it in the New Testament. One more transition. Luke chapter 10. Jesus sends out His disciples. And He says this to them. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and then tell them this. The kingdom of God is near. And when you enter a town and not welcome, go into its streets and say, even the dust of... Your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. But be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. Acts chapter 28, Paul at the very end of this letter from Luke. He says this, Luke says this about Paul. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, welcomed all who came to see him. And boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And and the reason I'm, I'm, I'm helping you through these stages is because I really want you to see this, and this is where it has application to us. The proclamation of Jesus Christ as the King. The proclamation that He is the Rock that has entered in and broken into the world, that now all authority and glory and power belong to Him. He's inaugurating this new movement now. He's establishing one kingdom that will never be destroyed. This this massive, mind-altering, magnificent truth being proclaimed means right here, right now, That God is near you. And I wonder if you really, really believe that. It's not just, we're not talking about just words from the pulpit. What the Bible is saying is that the, in the proclamation of Jesus Christ, being Lord, being the rock, having all authority, having all power, all glory do Him. Just in that proclamation, right here, right now, the kingdom of God is terrifyingly close to you. And you could enter into it right now. See, death isn't the doorway into another kingdom. Who's the doorway into another kingdom? 
Jesus Christ is the doorway into the other kingdom. When you go through death, you're just going to go through the door of the kingdom that you've already decided to be in. Right now, right here in the proclamation of God's Word, the kingdom of God, just like Jesus Christ walking among us, is terrifyingly near to you. And today, you could enter in forever into that kingdom. That's what the Bible is saying. And I wonder if you really think that or are those just words that come out of a confession or a prayer or you hear and you nod your head or is that what we really think? Well, if we could step into this kingdom, if we could somehow enter into the kingdom, if, if it is terrifyingly close, What's the heart of the king? I mean, when I get into the kingdom, I want to know who's ruling it. What am I dealing with here? And I think this is the picture, or at least one of the pictures, that Jesus is trying to present to us about himself in Mark chapter 10. Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. People are recognizing him. And as soon as they recognize him, they realize he's sort of the unique rabbi. He's done some things. I've heard some things. And crowds pretty quickly, if he's not in deserted places, begin to come around him. So much so that it's a problem at some points. And apparently there's a problem here. The, the people are now not just coming for themselves, they're, they're bringing their children. And so probably in all likelihood, parents are bringing their infants or young children and they're saying, hey, get up there near Jesus. Maybe he can touch you and bless you. And we see that same sort of thing happen today, whether you lift up a baby and ask him to be kissed by a politician or somehow you, you want your child touched or blessed by somebody. I remember going to Jerusalem and the place that they think that Jesus Christ was crucified now is a great cathedral. And you go into this cathedral and it shows you the place of the crucifixion, supposedly. And then there's a sort of a flat stone near that area. And that is, again, reportedly a stone slab that they laid the body of Jesus on when they took him off the cross. And we don't know if that's true or not, but that's what the conventional wisdom is. And it was amazing when I went there, all these people kneeling down at the stone. And then they start pulling out of their pockets all the pictures of their children, spreading them all over the stone. Praying for a blessing that somehow just this proximity to Christ, somehow these children who couldn't make it to Jerusalem would get some sort of blessing. And so here's the heart of the people trying to get a blessing from this rabbi. And what are the disciples doing? Well, they're rebuking the people. And in Greek, this word rebuke means to place a value upon so what's happening is Jesus in sort of his entourage, maybe, and people are entering in trying to get into a conversation and the entourage is sort of the, the first band out and they come in and say, I just want, you know, my, my son or daughter to be touched by Jesus, maybe a, a, some kind of simple blessing. And the disciples are making a value judgment. 
They're placing value on the people who are coming, and these children have no value. You, you can't really add anything to the whole mission. He's not, he doesn't have time for you. So, no, you've got to get out of here. You know, uh, it's interesting to note the next section is the section about the rich young ruler. And it doesn't appear that he has any difficulty getting to Jesus. But somehow these children, because they don't have any value, according to the disciples, can't get in. Well, Jesus is indignant or he's angry. This word expresses a, a deep emotional pain. And this is we begin to to sort of winnow in on the heart of God. What's causing deep emotional pain for Jesus is that somehow people are being blocked from seeing Him. It's interesting, again, just in the next couple of stories in Mark, the disciples get indignant. Same word. So this indignantness, that's not a word, is it? Indignation, maybe is that a word? This, this being angry exposes the heart. And so what, what we see is exposes the heart of Christ. He's angry that people somehow are being blocked. What are the disciples angry at? What do they get indignant over? What, how, do you, what, how do you know what's in the heart of the disciples? You know it because of what they get angry at. And what are they angry at? Well, James and John asked for the places of power. And I didn't get mine. You see, their hearts are bending on themselves. Well, Jesus is angry. And He takes this moment to try to offer sort of this object lesson. And, you know, um, He's probably angry about several things, but He's at least very angry over the denseness of His disciples. If you just look, you probably could just turn one page back. Mark chapter 9, verse 33. Remember there was this whole argument, and we talked about it, about greatness and, and defining greatness in this world versus greatness in the next. And there was this argument on the way, again, along this journey, about who was the greatest. What were you discussing on the way, Jesus asked him, verse 33. They kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Who was the greatest where? Matthew says, in the kingdom of God. That's what they're talking about. We, we understand the kingdom of God has come, and I want to know who's the greatest. And then, look at this. Jesus sat down, and He called the twelve. Okay, let's have another little object lesson. And He said to them, here's the principle. Just like you might do with your son and daughter. Let me first give you the principle but I don't want the principle to sort of just float away. I want to put some feet on it. And so I want to give you a picture. The principle is, first, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. All right? You got that's the principle. Now let me give you a concrete picture of what it looks like. And he took a child. Isn't that amazing? Just one chapter before, a, a week, a a month, we don't know. Jesus said, look, it's, it's kind of like this when you take a child in. Do you hear the heartbeat of the king? 
It's when you want to be last, when when people who have no value come forward. That's what we're talking about. And here, just in chapter 10, some days or months later, they completely missed it. They're not accepting children. They're doing the very opposite. They're rebuking them and saying, this king doesn't have time for you. And the heart of Jesus is exposed because he's angry. I think we just need to think about this carefully. Is there a place or a way you are blocking people from seeing Jesus? Even in your own family. Are you so consumed by what you have to have that that consumption, all the energy focused on you, is actually serving to block people from seeing Christ. Maybe you're caught up in the values of this world. You, you look and say, that has value, I've got to have that. That has value, I've got to have that. That has value, I've got to have that. And you've got your hands on so many things that in eternity are going to burn up and have no value, but you're so sucked into those things that now because of it, You're blocking people from seeing Christ. Christ has put you strategically in a place, in a high school, in a family, in a college, in a workplace. And do you have your hands wrapped around things of the kingdom of God so that when people look at you, they say, yes, it's like that. Or are you so wrapped up in yourself or getting things that have value on this planet, in this kingdom, that don't have value in the next, that really by wasting your time pursuing those things, you're blocking people from seeing the kingdom of God. It might be your own children. We need to ask ourselves, do we, if we're going, if we are part of the kingdom, do we have the same heart as the king has? Are we loving the least and the lost? And if you say, well, yeah, I do, then I want to ask you how. Well, I think about it every once in a while. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. How are you putting yourself in the way of people on this, in this kingdom that have no value? Jesus is short with his disciples. If, if you read it in the Greek, it's just sort of this uh, staccato kind of language. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. And then he makes these very unusual statements. To such as these belongs the kingdom of God. Verse 14. Verse 15. Truly, or I tell you the truth. Remember when you see this? Verily, verily. In the Greek, that word is Amen. He's saying, Amen. You can believe what I'm just about ready to say. He gives himself an Amen before he even says it. Usually you have a preacher come up here and he's saying something and you go, well, Amen, brother. I I agree with what you just said. Jesus says, Amen. Amen. Before he even says anything. 
So you know it's going to be good. And he says this, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child shall never. In the Greek, there's a double negative. Shall not, never, ever enter into the kingdom of God. So we're left with getting into the kingdom. And Jesus couldn't be any clearer here. Nobody can enter the kingdom without being like a child. It just couldn't be any clearer. However, the question is, well, what's the quality, childlike quality that I'm supposed to exhibit? I mean, children exhibit all kinds of qualities. Well, I don't think it's this. I don't think it's, well, innocent like a child. Child is willing. Child is simple or trustworthy. I don't think that's what he's talking about. And the reason I don't think it's talking about that is back in verse 13. How are, how is it that the children are coming to Jesus? They're not coming sort of simply. They're not coming innocently. It doesn't sound like they can even come at all unless someone carries them to Jesus. So the childlike quality I think Jesus is trying to highlight here is complete and absolute helplessness. There's no way you and I can enter the kingdom of God without someone carrying us. As long as you or I think we can do it on our own, then we will never, nobody ever enters the kingdom of God under those circumstances. There's a couple of points here I want to close with in terms of application here. First of all, and I think they both can be made. Um, I think it clearly points to the role of parents in the life of the children. It's possible that somebody else is coming beyond the life of a parent here. But, I mean, most of these are infants. So it's moms and dads that are bringing these children into the presence of Christ. And so I'm asking and looking at you parents. Are you doing everything possible to bring your children into the presence of Christ? That's all that matters. I've seen so many parents consumed by their getting their kids into a particular college. And I just want to beg them and say, that doesn't matter. That's going to be burn up in eternity. Are you spending that kind of energy getting your kid into the kingdom? That's what matters. Are you using all possible ways. Are you bringing them here to church? Are you putting them in front of other godly examples? Are you doing everything you can to bring your kids into the kingdom? The, the quote on the front of the bulletin has to do with Augustine and he quotes about from his, his thoughts in his confessions about his mother named Monica. Augustine was not converted until he was 32. And he lived a 
fairly wild kind of life. Very uh, not interested in the idea of the Christian God. He was a religious man. It's kind of searching out other religions. And his mother, Monica, was known to be a faithful prayer warrior for her son. And at the age of 32, under different circumstances that I won't go into now, he commits his life to Christ. 32 years old. And so you get this picture of this mother for 32 years just praying like crazy that her son would know who Christ is. And this is what he says, Augustine. But I will admit, omit not a word that my mind can bring to birth concerning your servant, my mother. All the great accolades I can think of, I'm going to bring forth concerning your servant. My mother. In the flesh, she brought me to birth in this world. In her heart, she brought me to birth in your eternal light. What a powerful, powerful statement. She's just a servant. She's not the doorway herself. Christ is the doorway. But you see the idea... Augustine says, I came to life because of my mother in the flesh. I came to eternal life because of my mother. She picked me up. She carried me in her prayers all the way. And parents, are you still doing that? Don't grow weary. Don't get tired. Don't pursue other things over the things of the kingdom. Second piece of application is this, no, no matter how near the kingdom, no, no matter how near the kingdom comes to you, no matter what your current position feels like, I'm near the kingdom, I'm not near it, you're completely helpless to step through the door. There's no way, no, no matter how near the proclamation of the gospel comes to you. It's, it feels, Paul, it feels like it's right here. You can't step through. You're helpless. I, I visited a guy in the hospital recently who had fallen and broken his back and his dad was saying, son, why, why didn't you call me? You had your cell phone. And he said, dad, it was right next to me. But I was paralyzed and I couldn't call. And that's the picture. We're right next to it. But we cannot step through the door ourselves. We're completely helpless. And here is the greatest news that could ever be said. Jesus Christ, like a groom. You know what a groom does? When he gets married? What does he do when he, when he takes his bride home? He picks her up. He has the willingness. He has the ability. And what does he do? He says, I'm going to carry you through the door all the way home. There couldn't be a better picture of it. 
He has come all the way into the world. He has picked you up and He has brought you all the way into the kingdom of God. So when you get into the kingdom of God, and when I get into the kingdom of God, it doesn't have anything to do with your degrees. It doesn't have anything to do with anything you put value on in this world. It all has to do with Jesus Christ. All glory, all authority, all power belong to Jesus Christ. And you, in the nearness of the proclamation of this Gospel, can enter in into that everlasting kingdom. Let me pray for us. Lord, there may be people here that sense Your nearness. But they could be so blind to think, if I just drop that one bad habit, if I would just stop or just start then I could enter into the kingdom. That's, that's not possible. We have to be completely helpless. There's some of us here that have been working our whole lives thinking we're in the kingdom by working it and we're not in the kingdom. We may be as far from the door as we could imagine. But no matter, near or far, you have come. You have come to, to seek a lost sheep who has gone a far distance. And you're not driving the sheep, you're picking the little lamb up and you're carrying your bride all the way home. Lord, these are, these are terrific, sometimes terrifying, magnificent realities that the kingdom of God has broken into this planet and you have laid a cosmic claim on planet earth and at your name every knee shall bow but we're so caught up in the values of this world god we need your help help us to see your glory i pray in christ's name Lord, as we, as we move now into another aspect of our worship service, the offering. You, you, it, everything we have is Yours. We don't have any titles with our names on it, realize, thinking that we've bought it, we've got it, we own it. We're just a steward. I pray that this practice alone might help some of us let go of things that we think have value that don't. And Lord, take all of these good gifts oh, and use them to proclaim this message about the nearness of God to every lost and least soul there is to the ends of the earth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.